Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast. I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. Uh, with me for this episode, I've got Mike George of Homeland Security Solutions Incorporated. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine today. I asked Mike to come on here. He's, he's teaching me uh, this week and last week how to do a pretty good job of teaching Afghans how to be police officers. You know, if you can teach an infantryman that, but I guess you can. He started to throw out a few things about body language, and I get a lot of emails and questions about body language, as I've, mes- I've mentioned it a few times in the past. So I asked him to come on and talk to us a little bit about body language. So uh, without further ado, Mike, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? My background is uh, mostly in law enforcement. I have no military experience. I started in 1978 as a Maryland State Trooper. Did that for three years, went over to Fairfax County Police in Northern Virginia, and um uh, Started as a patrolman like everybody and worked my way up, spent uh, eight years in narcotics, two of those years as a supervisor with DEA, uh, working uh, crack cocaine, which was the flavor of the day back in the mid-80s, a large problem. From there, I uh, started teaching as a law law enforcement certified criminal justice instructor, and that was in 1985. I went from there to teaching for the International Association of Chiefs of Police while I was still in, in law enforcement. And uh, from there, I went to being a college professor, an adjunct college professor. And in between that, I had my own training companies. I went through the ranks. I retired as a lieutenant while other jobs. I ran a gang unit uh, for the police department. We, I actually formed it, then ran it, and then also ran the intel section prior to the gang unit for the police department. So my background is mostly in, uh, in investigations, but the way the police department works, as you get promoted, you get transferred. So I do have patrol experience as a patrolman, as a sergeant, as, and as, as a lieutenant, uh, and investigative experience as a, a detective, as a sergeant, and as a lieutenant. So it worked out very well. Uh, I left law enforcement in 99, retired, I didn't leave, and. Uh, and took the job as the investigate uh, director of investigations for the Recording Industry Association of America, doing anti-piracy. Uh, did that for nine years. Then I went uh, as an instructor to Kyrgyzstan with ISITAP. From there, I went to HSSI to uh, train law enforcement and and uh, MPs on law enforcement functions. That's a pretty broad spectrum of uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff in your career. When I tell people I can't hold a job, that might be part of it, but uh, it's I get bored easy, and I'll be the first to say there was some stuff, uh, and, and law enforcement to get bored, it takes a lot, but um, th- there was so much offered that if you said, hey, I'll do that, they'd let you do it, and it, it, to me, I enjoyed it. It was uh, what I tell everyone, it's most fun you can have with your clothes on, so. Yeah, it takes a certain kind of person, you know, to to do it and really enjoy it. And I guess if you enjoy it, you're gonna do a better job at it as well. Uh, I think that's what anything. Yeah. If you enjoy it, you'll do a better job. I've been a big believer in, as a leader, you can make people do a job, but you can't make them do a good job unless you're a good leader. And uh, I'm a big believer in that, that if you lead the right way, people will want to do a good job. Yep, sounds about right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, our topic that we're going to talk about. is going to be um, just body language. And when I told him we're going to talk about this, but uh, when I asked him to talk to me about this, uh, I brought up the body language thing, and more particularly for threat recognition type things that uh, a concealed carry uh, holder, someone who's out you know, with their family, uh, might see some threat indicators in, in an individual uh, for law enforcement officers that may not be as skilled as uh, you, know, you are. And threat indicators and body language, uh, everything down from you know time to draw your weapon and fire to uh, this guy's about to run kind of thing. So uh, I won't hold you back with uh, my lack of knowledge in this. Just have at it, Mike. Well, uh, I think first of all, body language is uh, something you can read about. You can Google body language and probably come up with fifty different books. There's tons of videos on YouTube about body language that I've looked at and watched and. Some are pretty much spot on. There used to be a show on Fox, Lie to Me. Uh, a lot of this stuff is very true. It is a science. There is studies on eye movement and stuff like that, facial expressions, uh, you know, tucking your chin in. Sometimes I talk to people if they were bringing, yeah, trying to push away. And uh, so there's a lot of different stuff out there on there. Uh, 
thing about body language is it's practiced. To do it well, you have to practice. If you guys didn't get that right there, he would just show me what he was talking about by tucking the chin in. So I'm getting the best version of this episode because I actually get to see his facial expressions. But um, it's uh, the one thing that's really important to remember is, is no one meaning means anything. Crossing arms is uh, crossing arms across the chest, or sometimes you'll see people speaking publicly and uh, they keep their hands in front of their groin. Two areas that uh, people with body language say, well, that's showing tension, and it does. It is a, a, it's a show of tension, rubbing the back of the neck, uh, thought sometimes rubbing the chin. The way they point their feet is, if you point, if you turn to someone and you see they point their feet towards the door, and you have to look down, it means they're looking to get out. But it's important to remember that no one, no one thing means anything. And it kind of depends on the individual a little bit too, right? You know? Absolutely. You have to set a baseline. And, and there's ways you control body language also. As a perfect example, I bite my nails. My wife yells at me all the time. And I'm not nervous. I, it's, I think I might be too lazy to get up and get a nail clipper sometimes. I see a long nail. Same way. And I'm biting my nail. My wife's out, you know, what are you biting your nails for? Has nothing to do where if someone was looking at me, they didn't know me. They would say, oh, this guy's nervous. He's biting his nails. I'm not nervous. I mean, it's something I do. And so people will do stuff. They'll put, cross their arms and uh, rub the back of their neck. They'll create distance. There's certain things you can look at someone and just read their body language. I have uh, talked to a master gunny in CID, and we were talking about an employee that we had. And, and just by talking to him, I looked at him and said, uh, so you're not really keen on him. And he just looked at me and said, you know, you're too good of a cop. He says, you just can look and see what I'm thinking. And uh, I and I couldn't tell you how I exactly I did it, but by talking to him, by looking at his face, I could just see, like, I think you're making a mistake, the little subtle shaking the head no. You know, uh, you have guys confessing, saying, no, I didn't do it. And they're moving mm-hmm. their head up and nodding in a yes position. Uh, there's certain things, but you have to establish that baseline and all of my body language training I got came through interviewing skills, uh, asking questions to get answers and using their body. It's a, it's a reaction you can't control. Uh, some of the stuff I looked at is, uh, I've looked at tapes of uh, the OJ uh, interview with the cops and actually the cops kind of screwed it up a little. They didn't capitalize on certain things he said we showed the video where, in this class that uh, Dan's in, we showed a video that where the, the cop asked, are there any guns in the vehicle? And his answer was, I don't have one. Right. And, and his partner did. And part of body language is being able to listen, to listen and observe. Uh, two things that, when I said it's a practice art, to get people to listen and to get people to observe are also practice arts. Uh, in one of the classes I teach, I, I always ask the class, it's a communications theory class, what is the opposite of listening? I, excuse me, what is the opposite of talking? Listening? You would think listening, but it's not. It's uh, waiting to interrupt. No. And when you think about it, if you get in a conversation with people and you're watching them, you're talking, and you can almost see them trying to spit out those words because they want to get their word in. And if they're doing that, what are they not doing? Listening. So those are arts, again, you have to look at. Uh, another thing that it, it, uh, works is uh, the proximity of where you do something. If I'm doing an interview, as I am zooming in on someone because I want to get that confession, I get closer to them. Uh, a lot of police stations are set up with a desk as a barrier. You could see the, the guy sitting there and he's maybe handcuffed to an eye hook in, in the desk and the cop's on the other side. So it is kind of like on TV. That, ha- that happens. Okay. It's not a good practice. Uh, Fortunately, you, I've never been in one of those before. Hopefully, uh, you, you I wanna, keep that record. You want to actually get a, you want that's a barrier uh, to to ver- nonverbal communication, and you want to uh, as people talk, they want to get they want to cl- cross their legs. If I'm interviewing someone, I don't want that desk in a barrier. I want to scoot in and actually have my knee between his two knees. I want to stop him from doing that because it's a defense mechanism. You're in his space. And, and I'm in his space. And anyone that knows that, uh, you know, uh, my wife's Italian and visit family on her side. They all want to hug you and kiss you. And I'm really not that type of person. I do it, obviously. But, and I know him. But 
they all want to just get in that close. I find that I don't do massages. You know, people say, oh, you get a massage, you feel great. And I'm sure I don't want that uh, in my space. So I would be the perfect person, you know, for someone to intimidate by getting in my space. And a, a pretty good fact is cops are very uh, bad at uh, lying. Uh, although there's corrupt cops, but when they get in that interview, they're going to be the ones that, that'll crack it, sometimes easier than the regular criminal. Maybe it's because they really do have some sense of morals or it's been in, ingested into their brain. And, oh, you're saying like a, an officer who's... A corrupt officer being arrested. Okay. He will, you know, he'll probably fall issued than some of the regular criminals as a general rule. But, you know, you look at that personal distance where they rate up the social distance and, and the, the public distance. You think that maybe because uh, you know their lack of experience and you know telling lies on a regular basis and covering up their you know I guess evil actions maybe and it could be I th- I'd like to say it's because they have a they screwed up but basically they're good people and that might be not be the case in all cases but uh, I have known uh, cops that go into interviews for doing stuff wrong and, and they will usually roll a lot easier than some bad guys uh, mm-hmm. you know that the hardened street criminal. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> palms up, if they, if they talk to you, you know, and they're putting their palms up and kind of looking up, it's actually a prayer position, like, you know, God help me. Uh, uh, this is going, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're raising their eyes up, looking up. I've done interviews when I'm talking to them, and I just see the guy just glancing to the door. And I, and I actually think there's a thing to remember is, Although it's a skill that to get really good at, you have to practice it. Anyone can do it, though. And some people do it better than others. Uh, you know, so you got to remember when you're talking to people, your body language is also on display. And some people can read it. That's one of the reasons I brought it up for our class as communication theory. If you're going in there as an advisor and these people are disgusting you and you see no value in what you're doing, that's going to show in your body language, that. Yep. and it's it's going to happen. You can't control it. I used to have a captain. Say, can I talk to you a minute? I saw talk to him next thing I know. He's looking at his watch, pulling his his BlackBerry out, and checking that. The first thing it's telling me is he has no time for me. You know, and he's too busy to talk to me. Obviously, not even really listening, and anyway. he's not listening. Yep. So you know, it's that type of things. I mean, you got to remember there's certain things you want to set up baselines, but there's cultural stuff. In Japan, they don't really, they, they find it disrespectful to look you right in the eye. They're going to look down, hence the bowing and stuff. Uh, China, the bowing is the sign of respect where in America you might say, well, look me in the eye. Because you, 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 if you're not looking at me, you're showing disrespect. Right. So you got to understand the cultures. Uh, that helps. you got to understand uh, personality, people types. There's, uh, you know... Hundreds of cultures, different cultures, and no one will ever know them all. And what's culturally acceptable, I I knew that in uh, I didn't know. I found out through, <laughs> I guess, through uh, making mistakes. That in working Asian organized crime uh, in the Vietnamese culture, um, I was talking to a victim, and he had his daughters on the wall, and I said, "You have very a very beautiful family. I had three daughters and." In his mind, he was thinking that I was telling him I wanted to have sex with his daughters. Mm. Uh, so then you lose that uh, you, you lose that rapport that you established with people because you know you didn't understand. So you, it maybe working with a specific culture, you would want to try to learn some stuff about it so you don't make those type of snafus. But uh, you know, you know, you can't. Oh, that Japanese guy—he wasn't looking me in the eye. He's lying. Well, that's probably not going to be true. Right. There'll be other things to do, and you do that through questioning, like a polygraph. You want a, a polygraph? When you take a polygraph, they ask you all these general questions right, about yeah. your date of birth, maybe social security number, where you live, and they're going to run you to the polygraph because they're setting up that baseline, establishing the baseline. Then when they, uh, it's it's all based on heart rate, blood pressure, stuff like that, and uh, so they're going to look and say. Oh, you know, this is very smooth. We asked him if we stole that item, and he said no, but psh, that, that needle went up. Uh, we think he's lying. Same thing with, with the body is a human lie detector if you know how to use it. Now, in cases of someone's innocent, like if I was 
accused of stealing something or murder or something, something heinous that uh, you know I just didn't do. But still, I have fear that I couldn't be convicted of it if somehow they found that I was guilty, even though I know in myself that I didn't do it. Wouldn't that bleed through in the polygraph? I'm offended by being asked this question. I'm also worried about, is the polygraph going to show up something, show up that I'm lying, but really I'm telling the truth? Actually, a good interviewer would know that an innocent person usually gets offended. We were working a case in Fairfax County. A guy was being polygraphed for, he actually killed a young girl, but we never found a body. Well, we eventually, on a polygraph, they asked them the polygraph, not me, but the polygraph operator said, we think you killed, killed her, and they gave her name. And uh, his response was proven. Now, if that was you, and someone said you killed somebody, what would you say? Uh, it wouldn't be proven. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I didn't kill anybody. What are you talking about? I have no idea right. what you're talking about. And that's a natural response. They expect that. If you get accused of something and you're innocent, you will get angry. You will be defensive. A guilty person will either say, like, prove it, or you're doing a case, say, on a burglary. And my question to you would be, well, you think the house may be open and maybe the guy just needed a place to stay? What do you think should happen to the person that, you know, broke in his house and stole the silverware? And, you know, an innocent person say, he knows better than to break in the house. He knows it's wrong. He goes to jail. The guilty person will try to rationalize mm-hmm. it and say, you know, well, you know, some people have some issues. It was cold out, you know, and uh, and maybe the silver was out and the guy was hungry. He knew he could get money for the silver. And, you know, there might be some justification to the action. And, and it's that type of things that, you know, the cops would key on. And the body language, you know, guys, uh, Marion Barry, the, the mayor, of uh, Washington, D.C., he was famous for, you could see when he was getting under stress, he would have, just start sweating over his upper lip. I mean, they, the, and this is just with the press, it says with the cops. And uh, they'd start hitting him on stuff, and he's had a colorful past, uh, anyone that knows anything about Marion Barry. Uh, and you will see that, you know, he's like, his lip will start glistening and stuff, but, uh, and his forehead, and uh, just and not because it's hot, uh, and you can control those type of things. You can ask questions, which would be what would be threatening questions when you start asking about a certain incident versus, well, you know, how's your wife and kids, or man, was it hot today? You know, it's you know, it is always this hot here. Yeah, you know, uh, and and those type of things get different type of answers. Uh, but the body language is part of the interrogation process. But I mean, there was a book, and uh, I, I read it. Uh, it was on how to pick up women with body language to just tell when you talk to them with their flicking their hair back. Did your wife get mad at you while you were reading that book? Was that? No, no, no. <laughs> My wife is the same. Purely educational, honey. Purely educational. Academic only. I was more interested in actually. Uh, uh, the science of what they were saying. And it, there's a thing called preening uh, for women. You know, they'll flick their hair, you know, they maybe lick their lips. You might see them put on lipstick. They'll look at you. Uh, the way they look at you, they don't look away. They'll give you that stare. Is that similar to the target stare? Well, what do you mean target? I don't know. Like somebody's uh, getting ready to assault you? Well, <laughs> there is a stare for that, but there's usually <laughs> other things accompanying it. Um, you see a guy get out of a car, Right now, the listeners are all mad at me right now because like, he was telling me how to pick up chicks, and <laughs> and now he went back to assaultive behavior. Come on, let this guy talk about picking up chicks so I can learn. <laughs> you know, guys know it. Actually, they they'll know it. Uh, you know, if they pay attention. Uh, but you'll see the woman flick her hair and stuff. Uh, like I said, maybe put on lipstick. They'll they won't break the stare. You're looking at them. They look at you. And uh, you know, I, I had a guy that worked for me do that staring down this girl in a bar. Uh, we were after work. And, and very attractive young lady, and she came over to him, but she knew he was looking at her. And uh, she says, can you get a better picture now that I'm here closer to you? So he was kind of being a little, you know, sarcastic. And, and he was actually the wrong type of guy to be sarcastic to. So she says, what do you think? And he pointed to her breast and said, are those real? <laughs> so, you know, there's th- but if he wouldn't have went down that route and, and been, said something witty to the other guy, well, I really appreciate you coming over here. I think that would have been starting up a conversation. 
But he was he was a married guy anyway, so his thing was okay, get out of here, and uh, and 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 actually he was very successful at that also with uh, you know, but I was real and phew, he was gone. So you know, there's different things. But on the threat side, a guy gets out of a car, you know, and he starts maybe you know twisting his shoulders, like loosening up his back a little, you know. That's the first sign that a cop should be looking and say, no, no, I might be fighting now. It could be, again, no one behavior means anything. Could be that he's been driving for 10 hours yeah. and getting out of the car. You know, he's like, oh, this feels great. And it could be. So you look at that stuff. I mean, there's things that cops do. A great case where a guy that worked for me when I did uh, drug interdiction, and he lost the case, good cop, good instincts. And he testified to this. That's why he lost the case. He's driving down the road, he stopped at a stoplight. There's a guy next to him, and long hair, tattooed, gross beard, and the guy looks over and says, How you doing, officer? And then drives off. That was his clue. His clue was something's wrong. He gets behind him, stops him, searches his car, finds eight ounces of heroin in his air cleaner. Would consent to search his car. When he testifies, and this is Good police work, but bad police work. He testifies that when I stopped at the light, and that guy looked at me and said, "Hey, those type of people don't usually wave at cops." It may be true. It may be not a good, not good for, uh, for. It's not illegal to wave to cops, so he had nothing to stop him on. And what he testified to was, I stopped him because he waved to me, and I know those kind of people don't wave at cops. And and the other thing is, he was right. In this case, he got some a lot of heroin, and. Uh, Lost the case because you have to have a reason to stop something. Mm-hmm. But again, police instinct. Uh, an, another example is uh, a guy uh, stops a guy. He has his hands on the hood, and he sees the guy looking around. The guy hasn't said a thing, and he said, "I know what you're thinking, and I will catch you with it before you go 50 yards. And it's going to be painful if I got to chase you." And you can just see from the guy looking around to his head just going down. Change his mind. Change his mind. Uh, by that simple, and, and like I said, I, I think I think any good cop learns that stuff on their own, because uh, cops are truly what they call contact professionals, because of the amount of people they actually speak to, and and the people they speak to are usually under some type of influence, whether they're victims, whether they're angry, whether they're high, depressed. You know, there's a bunch of different things. You don't usually catch people on their best, you know, right. moments. Well, I talk to them on their best. Well, and sometimes you are, but even on a traffic stop, there's usually a some anxiety and b some anger. I mean, if you do it right, I've had times where I've uh, had people say thank you after I gave them a ticket. Rare, but you can do it. I mean, think of it: cops saying at the end, "Have a nice day." They just gave you a ticket that's a hundred and something dollars. That is kind of sarcastic when you look at it. It might be done in all fairness. That is a sarcastic uh, statement. See, I've got a few tickets in my day, and I'm always really polite with the officer. One, I hand my military ID and my driver's license just to show, hey, look, this may not count for anything, but I'm one of the good guys. I'm not going to do anything crazy. My hands are on the steering wheel. I probably do have a gun in the car. And, I, you know, depending on what state I'm in, I may or may not tell them that. You know, I always say thank you, but it doesn't ever get me out of tickets. Depends <laughs> on the officer. Well, but, but also, I don't expect to either because, I mean, if I was speeding, I, I know I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. You know? Well, they have the discretion themselves. I mean, some are, you know, some are by the book, boom, boom, boom. Some would say, well, you know, you're in the military. I appreciate your service. But I've had that happen before. You know, and have a good day. And, uh, you know, I've always ended mine, even when I gave them a ticket, with I appreciate your cooperation. Never saying have a good day. I appreciate your company. Cooperation, be safe pulling back on the road, or use caution pulling back, or whatever, whatever works. But it's those type of things that you know you can can you incite someone with words? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, is there a restriction of freedom of speech? Absolutely. If someone curses at me, I can't curse them back. You know, once I can, and nobody complains to me, then I lose a day's pay or whatever. So, but you know, it, it's it's that. The first part of observation and talking with people, and you can actually establish that baseline, because you're going to be nice. And then as you talk and see other things, and, and even in that video, it was hard to hear, but that 
trooper was talking to the, the bad guy on the side of the road, and that guy's arms were crossed around his chest like this, and he says, is this a ticket? He says, no, I'm going to give you a warning, and his arms went right down to his sides. And then when he asked him about the weapon, his arms went back up, and you heard the trooper say, I had a gut feeling something was wrong by the way these guys were acting. Very easy, uh, clenched fists, you know, you talk to someone, you watch them. Uh, the video he's talking about is, uh, it was Georgia? Georgia trooper, Benji Georgia State. Haas. Benji Hodge? Haas. Haas. Yeah. It's H-A-A-S? I believe, I'm not positive. Uh, you can Google that and probably find that video and, and watch it. It's, uh, the trooper had to, to shoot the passenger in a vehicle. And you can see the body language of the other, the driver of the vehicle in front of the dash cam video. Of, uh, you know, it looked like he was getting ready to go for the other officer's weapon and a lot of other things. Pretty, uh, pretty good video to watch. And it's an old one. It's from the 80s, actually. But it has a lot of uh, benefits on interrogation and on, on, uh, on body language. But like I said, it's one of these things where it is... Uh, way people look like normally looking down is a, a sign of shame that they're you know embarrassed uh, again culturally here in Japan I wouldn't go with that one I'd, I'd have to be looking for something else because I would expect them to you know that's how they are that they're bowing and putting their head see right now I'm uncomfortable right now because I keep having to look down at my audio to see if everything's picking up right and everything's good so now I'm thinking that he's thinking that I'm, I'm being disrespectful toward him right now because I'm not making eye contact the whole time well you are making eye contact <laughs> and it doesn't have to be I mean if it was constant eye contact, on, on, eye contact I'd be scared I'm yeah. going, what was he thinking he doesn't blink <laughs> so there are, it's those little things but you know I have stopped people where I just watch them clenching their hands and, and a lot of times I would, I find it good to tell them, you know, don't do anything silly, it's not worth it. Uh, you know, we can get done, you go home, I go home, no problems. Or we could take this another step where you go to jail, you have to pay a fine, I'm gonna tow your car or whatever. You know, try to give them options uh, for that to talk about because you're just seeing this behavior. And uh, it's good to, now, do you prevent lies? By reading body language, no, but you can tell that they're lying. That's you know, you, you can't make them not lie, so you have to uh, understand that oh, I don't think this guy. And now I've used it where I've sat down and just basically uh, blowing smoke up their butt, saying, "Look, they brought me here because I'm like a human lie detector, and I'm going to know when you're lying. So when you lie, I'm going to just call you on it." And, Either you help yourself or you just hit, sit here and lie to me. I mean, you want to lay that foundation. And I've had guys do something. I knew they were lying. I said, thank you, lying. And uh, they're like, you know, well, no, I'm not lying. Well, oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and there's all kinds of ways, you know. Uh, you ask someone what their name is and there's this pause. They're prepared to lie. They're thinking about it. How much will you believe? Hmm. You know. I would say if you were a military policeman, and I know you're not, and uh, you stopped somebody and said, what's your, what's your social security number, that you would expect that to come fairly quickly, that whoever you stopped would know their social security number. Well, I know mine, but I would say, why do you need my social security number? And that's not a, a problem, because that's actually uh, falls into that stage I talked earlier of uh, you know, knowing cultures, you also have to understand people. And uh, there's three kinds of people. There's nice people, difficult people, and, and sneaky people. And and difficult people will always ask why. They're not really difficult. I'm a difficult person. I wouldn't do it to be difficult. I don't want my social security number to be lost in another database like it always is. Right. Well, no, I, I understand that. And, uh, I mean, even when we did it here and they asked for a social security number, I mean, the first time we did it, we said, just give us your last four. And then the Marinko came back and said, no, we need the whole thing mm -hmm. for our, our wreckage. But... So again, though, it's it, the response to someone asking them why is to tell them why. I mean, that's a common courtesy. On one of the other courses I teach, it's one of the things I teach Marines because basically they're in a, a give order, take order culture. And uh, probably most MPs, if they get stopped, they say, why you stop me? You're already put this guy in an agitated state. Unless you have just questioned his authority. And uh, you have an advantage if you as a staff sergeant stop, and it's a Lance Corporal that stops, because he's going to, oh, it's a staff sergeant. Where civilian side, there is no rank, uh, you know, so 
there's a, it, it's a little different. But, but the problem you have now is on most bases, there are, there's more civilians on most bases. So you have guys, you know, stopping cars. And, and, uh, and the civilians say, well, why'd you stop me? And that MP saying, who are you or where do you have the authority to stop me? Oh, my God. You just, uh, you know, I've had people curse at me, donut eater or whatever they want, you know. And as I got older, I, I got, I guess, less aggressive. But the, old, the thing was, I always knew that I had the last act. They, you know, whatever, cursing at me, whatever. And, and I would actually look at them and say, I understand how you feel. And under similar circumstances, I may feel the same way. But I need to take care of this, whatever I was doing at this time. What that does is it kind of diffuses the situation. It actually shows I was listening, even though they were cursing. And the third thing it does is if they were to complain on me, and they say, you know, I called him a so-and-so, and, and he said he understood, and he could appreciate how I felt. Where's the complaint? It, it works great. It's a great tactic for law enforcement to use because so many, uh, you know, cops actually lose their freedom of speech. So, you know, if someone curses at you, you know, you can't curse back at them. You can once in civilian law enforcement or until they can black on it. Yeah. So, but like I said, and that all is facilitated for body language. You can see with words, you can make someone comply and, and calm down a situation. With words, you can agitate someone. Tone of voice. Kind of moving somewhere else for just a second. Have you seen, and I'm sure you've watched lots of dash cam video and, and seen a, a lot of stuff and studied it. Have you seen any trends in this basically, this body language or, or something pretty much almost always happened, or there was just a, a big overwhelming trend, and whenever this guy is going to become assaultive and either fight the officer for his gun or fire on the officer, is there anything that almost always happens, or is that not? Is that really hard to say? Well, you can see stuff that does happen. It's not always the same activity. Uh, there's one I can't think of it. It's a, a Texas cop. And he has uh, three guys stop, and you can watch these guys surround him, and you know it's coming. Mm. They actually tackle this guy, get his gun, and kill him. And uh, you're watching it, and you say, you know, you want to yell at the TV and stuff because you can see that coming. Uh, uh, well, we showed the video we showed. How many people in the class saying, handcuff that guy, handcuff yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. Uh, and, and that's what no trying. Everyone could see it. Everyone could see this guy was looking right at the, the other guy's gun. And uh, if he's looking at it, what's he thinking? Can I get it? And, um, and, and those are things that, you know, you may not want to assume, but in, in the name of safety, cuff him. Yeah. You know, just cuff this guy. And, uh, and you can do that. But to answer your question, I've, I've looked at, I used to look at cops because uh, 90% of them involved officer safety violations. Um, and as a trainer, you look and say, man, that guy's safety was bad, you know. But I've seen things where officers are showing someone how to close their eyes and touch their nose, and they're closing their eyes when they're talking to them and saying, well, if you close your eyes, then you can touch your nose like this. They're off balance. And they're off their balance, eyes they're leaning back with their eyes shut, showing him. I'm like, really? Uh, you know, so a lot of it's training, and, and, and uh, I guess for lack of a word, a lot of it's Monday morning quarterbacking, you know. Uh, who isn't going to make certain mistakes? And you learn from your mistakes. And one of the good things about some of those videos is hopefully you can teach somebody and say, you know, don't do this. This guy did this. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot on the show about that voice in the back of your head. It's uh, That thing has saved a lot of lives throughout history. And those who don't listen to that voice in the back of their head, they, you know, something's just not right here. Or maybe I shouldn't go in here. Or I shouldn't do this. Don't do it. You know, it's, it's just that voice in the back of your head is, especially as an officer, you know, there's something that's not quite right about this right here. And you can take it a step further to, uh, you know, some scam or some salesman coming up and telling something, and, and, and you've heard it so many times, that sounds too good to be true. And, well, it uh, probably is. <laughs> exactly. That is, the, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, and you should walk away because it's not always what it appears. And uh, that's... It's under the same type of thing. You're sitting there and you listen to someone tell you something, man, this sounds too good to be true. I'm doing it. Well, if it sounds too good to be true, why are you doing it? It's the, the logical approach. 
Did that happen a lot? I, um, how many people have sent uh, money or uh, taken checks from that Nigerian guy and sent them back because they gave him so much oh, yeah. money? Obviously, it's working and they keep doing it. Yeah, they keep doing it. And uh, uh, if you want to see all the scams, put a car on Craigslist and, and just watch their summer. I just saw one on Craigslist and I was laughing at some of the responses I got. Oh, I really like your car. I've seen the pictures. I can't comment. I'll just send you a check and I'll send you a check for... $5,000 more than you're asking yep. because uh, because of the inconvenience. If you would just send me, the, you know, the title, I'll have someone pick it up. Like, what are you, crazy? Uh, what do I, yeah. But, I've seen the same thing with uh, PayPal. Oh, yeah. Like they uh, just send me a PayPal invoice and I'll, I'll pay you the money and those your, your money will be in your PayPal account. It'll actually will and I'll pay you extra because I want to get this laptop from, that's what he told me, I want to get this laptop for my son who's a Marine too and he's deployed over here. How he knew I was a Marine, I don't know. Then he ends up, you know, I, I, I Google this, I'm looking around a little bit, I'm like this can't be right. This guy wants to pay me extra $2,000 for a laptop he could buy online for cheaper right now. That's just ridiculous. I was like, what kind of scam is he doing? And I find out that if he sends that money and then disputes the PayPal saying he never got this or something or other, he's got a laptop and he gets all of his money back, you know, and they do that all the time. Right. Now, as I said, it's uh, it, that gut instinct that you're talking about is, uh, I would say, almost a common sense factor, but you can see stuff. You can look at someone and just look in their eye and, you know, you're looking in their eyes and you're looking at them saying, something's not right here. I mean, and it could be maybe the person's mentally challenged. I mean, it's not always that they're bad, but you, you look and you're saying something ain't right. I, I mean, I've seen it even with rape victims. They have this stare, and they'll tell you, you know, nothing, oh, no, I'm fine, nothing happened. I'll be looking at them and say, are you sure? And, and if I, can I get you an exam? No, I don't need an exam. Well, that would help us. You know, and you almost got to plead with them sometimes to say, well, you know, he's this guy is still out there. Do you want what happened to you having somebody else? Right. And, and you got to kind of break them down, but they'll have that, you know, that deer in the headlights stare just to, you know, leave me alone. Uh, you know, uh, that goes to words and meanings. What they're saying doesn't always, isn't what they mean. And, uh, and sometimes you got to decipher that. Then you do it through body language and you do it through, uh, you know, like I said, looking at them, looking at their face, you know. Uh, I seen that in, in this class, looking at some of the faces uh, with some of the guys that have been to Afghanistan, that you know, some of the stuff we were saying it was like, oh, never. You could just see them shaking their head. Never yeah. happened. And uh, well, while you're on that, I guess if you have you seen, have you read my body language this week or last week? Thought anything about me? Just well, so they can laugh at me. I, I actually, you were actually someone I looked at was paying attention. I could tell that you were taking stuff in. You were actually looking. I, I didn't see a lot of negative stuff, and and you actually. Uh, when you came more, you were more forward also coming across saying, you know, I don't want you to think I'm a sniper, but I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And on, on our part, you had two very experienced instructors. I mean, I, I figure I started teaching when a lot of the people in this class weren't even born yet. And, uh, you know, I started in 1985 as an instructor. And so I'm looking at some of the people listening at this. Guys weren't even born it makes me feel great by the way uh, <laughs> but no I, I think your body language basically you sat you sat in the back which is uh, a common tactic I mean a lot of times I teach my class from the back uh, just to be close to the people that sat in the back because they sit in the back for a reason they want to create that space look at it anytime you go to a class where do you go first do you sit in the front I don't trust people Everybody that I'm around, I, I don't trust anyone until they've proven to be trustworthy. So I like to be able to see everything that's happening. I don't like things happening behind me where I can't see it. Well, you know, look at most cops. They go into a restaurant, they'll sit facing the door. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and it's almost uh, uh, embedded into your head that, you know, when I go into a restaurant, I want to sit there facing the door. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I still do it today. I do. My wife knows. She's when we go sit down, she knows exactly which seat to sit in. The one that's not facing the door. You know, and and, and you know, but she knows. She knows what you got to do. She knows your behavior and stuff. So yeah. it's it's one of those. Like I said, it's uh, body language is easy if you pay attention. And then as as you research it and you read, you'll see. Like I said, there's certain things. You know, you talk to the girl. She's so it's flicking her hair. She's what's not. It's called preening. You know, the preening. So as far as resources, we look up preening so you can learn how to pick up girls. Well, I just look up the. You'll see and I'm sure the girls on, pick up guys as well. Oh yeah, and 
YouTube. They're on YouTube. Yeah. Well, you'll, you could probably find, with no exaggeration, if you were to Google body language, you'd find books and you'd find YouTube videos, and I would say probably 50, 60 different videos. You know, uh, unfortunately, and you see it on the news, and, and I, I don't do this stuff, uh, and you, and you will never see me on the news uh, come across saying, no, this is Mike George, former lieutenant with Fairfax County Police. He's an uh, expert on body language. I don't consider myself an expert. I, I have a lot of experience. Most experts it. don't. It, it, well, that's what you see, but when you, you look at a major case, oh, so-and-so from the FBI, he's a profiling expert. Mm -hmm. You know, and they get up there, and usually I, it's about the time I turn off the TV, because uh, a lot of people get up there as soon as something happens and, and say, oh, I'm an expert, I can do that. Yeah. Where I prefer, like you said, and that, that doesn't have to do with trust as much as it has to do with uh, uh, just my, I'd rather, as a cop, you sit back and observe. Very, you know, most cops don't just act immediately. They want to know what's going on. And, you know, and, and take that, you know, it could be, 30 minutes of observing, it could be, you know, five seconds. You know, I think age has something to do with it, too. Because, you know, what if I, that that scenario we were given about the, the mob being around, watching the fight, and right. there was a guy with a bottle on top of another individual getting ready to stab him in the neck. And most of the young Marines, MPs in here, were like, you got to shoot him, or this and that. And some of the older ones kind of said something, I don't know if it's because of training or what, but they all said different things. And I said something differently than anybody else said. I said, uh... You can't shoot them. You don't know which one's the good guy or the bad guy. You don't have enough information right now. Because that just happened in New York with the ATF right. agent. Uh, myself and my co-host talked about that one uh, in an episode of a while back. You don't You don't have enough information. Just maybe patience. Is that a... Patience is a very good quality. Uh, uh, they, when you get hired by a police department, a lot of police departments will ask, what are the three qualities you need to be a good cop? And, and the right answer basically is courage. Sometimes going in when everyone's coming out, um, and that's a necessity. You need integrity, because as we talked in this class, if you don't have integrity, you won't get you won't have respect. No one that has integrity is ever respect, respected. And uh, the third thing is empathy. You got to be able to see through their eyes what they're seeing. That that I mean, that's kind of like a perfect response. And uh, and as you said. Okay, the guys, I thought maybe he's holding this guy down. It was, you know, um, the cool thing on that is when a uh, policeman shows up and he says, drop the, the bottle, we got it now, he should be dropping the bottle. Yep. That's the second part of this. Well, if he doesn't drop the bottle or he starts lunging, what do you think? My response is he starts lunging for the guy's neck. If I can't get there in time, you got to prevent that, you know, yep. threat, you would have to shoot him. And that was the route we went in that show. We were talking about, uh, say you just had to shoot someone in a parking garage. And, you know, an officer arrives right then, right when you show him. Now, that guy on the ground is doing a real good job of looking like a victim. And you're looking like one of the, the bad guys. Uh, you got to quickly identify yourself. And we were talking about that, you know, let the officer know. And obviously, a com comply to everyone. Once you identify that he is an officer, not by turning your body, but, you know, just your head, you know, because... Now, Daddy, you have guns, you own guns, handguns? Oh, yes. Uh, if the cop tells you you're in a garage and has to drop that gun... Do you really want to drop your gun onto that concrete? I don't want to drop my gun. I, I hope the cop doesn't. I, I like my guns too much, you know. But uh, if oh, it comes, if it comes between me getting shot, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and drop it. It's a, you know, I have a, a Colt Trooper that I had when I was a Maryland State Trooper. Very nice gun. I used to have a Python. I sold that for the Trooper just because I needed money. But. I'd be very hard-pressed if I was doing something in the parking lot, like stopping something, and cops came up and said, drop the gun. I would tell them, I'm a cop, can I put it on the ground? I won't point it at you. Right. Only because, yeah. I don't want to get it all nicked up and scratched up. And stuff. Yeah. I don't even like dropping my magazines when I'm shooting my Sig Sauer onto the concrete at the range. Oh, my co-host is going to love you. He teaches at the uh, Sig Academy in New Hampshire. Well, that's the, that's the gun of choice. for. What Sig are you carrying? I have a 228. Okay, that's the nine mil. Okay, yeah, I'm a nine mil fan. He carries a three fifty seven Sig. Well, the Sig's one of the best weapons. I will tell you, Fairfax County is a wealthy department, and we always had good equipment. And they went tested a lot of weapons. Went to the Sig. They still carry forty caliber Sigs now. Oh, we're a little bit off topic, but uh, <laughs> my next one I'm going to grab is going to be that P two two six Elite Dark in nine millimeter. I've been, I've well, got they actually have the one now where you can switch the barrels. 
you can go 40 caliber on nine. Oh yeah. That's I don't what know Glock's doing, mind. so you gotta we gotta we gotta chase Glock, right? I'm a big Glock fan too. And uh well I like I said, Sig was forced on me, but I like it. And when we retired, I gave you your gun and I still have my two two eight and uh I had it customized, I had them take off the decock lever and make it all double action all the time. Okay. So that was, we seen the video of the guy shooting himself in the ass. I'm thinking in my own head, if I'm not training as much as I did on the police department and I forget the decock and I pull that gun out and I, out of the holster, I'll shoot myself in the ass with my fingers on the trigger. So if I make it double action, it's a little harder trigger pull, but that's not an issue. There's also something to be said for a liability standpoint. It's going to be really hard for someone to prove in the court of law that uh, you had an accidental discharge and shot someone when you may have purposely shot them, but a lot of times they'll actually go for that uh, offense against you to try to say that you accidentally shot them. If you have a little hair trigger, they'll pass that around to the jury, and the jury's like, wow, it is a hair trigger. It, it is possible that he could have accidentally shot this when he didn't mean to, but you got a nice heavy double action. It's a little bit harder to, to go that route. Well, the other thing you got to remember in law enforcement, before you shoot someone, we have preclusion. That's, that has to be the last act. When you shoot someone, you got to be able to say that I had no other choice but to shoot this person. Well, I think the exact and same thing should apply to a concealed carry holder as well. Uh, it should. Uh, obviously, in some cases it doesn't, but that's a training issue. Right. Uh, obviously, the training a civilian gets and not your military training may exceed and probably does exceed what civilians get. But most civilians, you know, they take this course. Uh, that one day. Yeah, you know, and they're through and, yeah. and, and do they practice? No, they don't practice. Uh, yep. I still training. to this day practice because, you know, on the... the because I still qualify in the National Concealed Carry Act. I, being retired law enforcement, yep. I can carry a gun anywhere. And uh, with no problem, there's no question on that. But, uh, on after after all your experience, you still practice? I still practice. I see, that's why I always try to get across, no matter how good you think you are, it's, you're, you're never going to have it all. And you got to retain what you've learned throughout the and, and keep that up. It's it's a perishable skill. And I'm a fairly good shot. I mean, I still qualify 248, 250 every time. But you owe it to the civilians around and your family that you carry around. You know, oh, practice and, you know, and, and I've never shot anybody. Uh, and actually, I feel good that uh, uh, it's. I would. I never had a problem in my mind that if I had to take someone's life, I would do it if it got to me coming home for dinner and them. But not having to do it is. is makes me feel better. I don't know. I don't actually know what would be the psychological effect of, uh, you know, having to do that. I know guys that have shot people on the police department and killed people. And I've never seen a problem that day, you know, but I don't know what goes on behind closed doors either. Yeah. Do you got anything else on body language? No, I think the body language, like I said, without, uh, actually, it's harder in this medium to do body language without, you know, looking at videos and looking what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, watching the eyes, uh, the eye movement, watching uh, their, their uh, pupils either dilate or, you know, or, and, and stuff when you ask certain questions. It's all kind of stuff that they can't control, but it's so more effective to watch it than to have someone tell you, say, look at this. You know, touching the nose, touching the chin, covering their mouth. There's actually probably thousands of telltale signs that you could look at. And uh, to be effective, I'd recommend some of it. I've seen some of the videos on YouTube. Some of them are good. There is one on uh, on on women picking up women. It's not on picking them up per se, but identifying what they're trying to say with their body language, uh, which is always good. Could save you money on a drink or two, you know. Yeah. Talking to the girl, buy you a drink. Or it might cost you money. Once you get her over there, you got to buy her drinks, right? I yeah. I used to actually. I shouldn't say this, uh, but I used to send water with a lime over. See a woman at a bar, I'd send the water with ice, ice water with a lime. Tell the bartender, hey, send it. Could you give her ice water with a lime? It don't cost anything. It didn't cost <laughs> anything. But what would it do? The woman would come over and say, hey, what do you do? Send me water? And I said, well, I didn't know what you were drinking. Why not? I, I, what, do you want me to buy a drink that you don't like? So unorthodox, it just might so, work. So sometimes it works. Sometimes they just leave and call you an ass. But uh, it wouldn't be the first time. Usually they call me that and say, I understand how you feel in the same circumstances, I feel the same way. All right, well to wrap this up, Mike, I can't have someone with your experience here and not ask a few questions that are you know off topic. So uh, my co-host asked him to come up with a question and he wanted to ask you, his name's John McGregor. Uh, he wanted to ask, 
Have you noticed a continual trend toward more violence towards law enforcement officers, or does it kind of come in cycles? I would say uh, right now uh, the cops getting killed on duty is higher than it's ever been. Uh, it, it has gone up, which is sad. Um, and I would say, obviously, on, knowing that, that, yeah, there is an increase in violence because you know more cops are being killed. So I do see it. Does it come in cycles? I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, that'd be a tough one to answer. I, you know, a lot of it has to do with. Uh, Times, uh, there's factors, economics, you know, factor. Higher unemployment, you're probably going to have higher crime, stuff of that nature. But I, I, I could tell you that, you know, this year we're on a trend to break a record for officers killed, uh, which is, is sad. Uh, is there a way to prevent it? Uh, there's training, but can you prevent it? Uh, that's it, you know, it's kind of like stopping a suicide bomber. If the person's intent on dying and intent on doing what they plan, you know, you're training my savior, you're wearing a vest that might save you, but, you know, they, they're going to give it a shot. I got so many questions here on Facebook where people <laughs> wanted to ask you, but I'm not going to ask. I'm trying to weed through them right now to see which ones to ask. Uh, one of my female listeners, uh, Lynn O'Connor, she asked, what kinds of behavior should a female watch for to avoid interactions with potential predators? Yeah, you know, that depends. Like I said, body language is hard to uh, uh, to hide, but uh, a sexual predator, his body language, he's going to be aggressive. You know, uh, all over there. You know, who knows what they're going to do? But uh, there's a lot of stuff that they'd be doing that would have nothing to do with body language. You know, following them. You know, grabbing them off the street. So, but I mean, you know, they, I think they would know. I think if a guy came up and, you know, tell him to get lost, he doesn't get lost, you know, might have to call the cops. That's a tough one to respond to, you know, what type of action. I guess not being a predator, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the way I pose this question, uh, Justin Rather, I think he's a law enforcement officer in Chicago, he uh, asked, I think he still thought you were with Fairfax County. He asked if your agency is hiring because he has to get out of Chicago and Illinois. <laughs> Actually, they they just opened a class. They did open one. Uh, uh, they're starting a class in April, so they probably won't be hiring again for three months or so. But depends <laughs> how many people don't. But they are hiring. Use the internet. There you go, Justin and Jesse Riley. He asked, "How do you differentiate between someone who is a sheepdog versus a wolf? You know, basically like um, one of the good guys." carrying concealed or may not have drawn his weapon or he's kind of trying to help out defuse the situation when you arrive. Sometimes these people, like I can have teeth, you know, and I've answered that question and, you know, done it in, in Iraq. I could take a human life if I have to. I don't want to do that. But, you know, if it comes down to it, same as you, you come up onto a situation or some kind of scenario like that. Is it, can you usually tell? And if so, how, how do you? Well, actually, the, the sheepdog and the wolf, I would put it to the, like I said earlier, there's three types of people. There's nice, difficult, and there's sneaky. And on sneaky, you have wimps and you have wolves. And the wolf is the one that'll kill you, given an opportunity. And the, the wimp is the one that toss behind your back. And, uh, you know, but it basically harmless. He's just really, for lack of a better term, a pain in the ass. It's the guy that'll talk about, you know, did you see what he did? Never say anything to your face, but we talk by your right. back. Whether uh, the wolf without a gun would be the guy that tries to report you, tries to set you up. As we talked about class snipers, they're basically sneaky people and they're on the wolf side. What you're talking about on the gun side, I would like to say, I don't think there's many sheep running around with guns. <laughs> I'd like to think that, you know, the guys that have guns and gals that have guns uh, understand the use of them and, and what could happen. As a general, I mean, I can tell you in, in Virginia, you can open carry. Right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that because as a police officer, there's good, I, I was in a 7-Eleven while walking into 7-Eleven. I seen a guy and he, he had a, like a, a AK-47 is what he did. Wasn't fully auto, so and he's carrying this. I'm like, what the hell is this joker doing? So I'm waiting like on the side of the building until he comes out. So he comes out, I grab that gun right right off his shoulder and want to know what the hell he's doing with it. And uh, he was a security guard and he had he had a federal firearms license. He could have actually had an automatic weapon. But you know, you just see that and you think, what the hell's going on? And I guess 
that could have been an overreaction on my part, uh, but I was outgunned in, in my mind. I had my sink. Right. So. Well, I've talked to some officers who don't really care for concealed carry. Like, well, I went through training and I did all this, and you do, and I now I get to carry it. What What do you do to get to deserve to do this? And you're like, it's kind of this thing called the Second Amendment, you know. But you know, I agree with you. Uh, even if you're carrying concealed or open or whatever, you got to get the training. You know, use of force uh, all the way down to marksmanship, everything else. I, there are a lot of people, and I, I haven't found out until I started Gunfighter Cast. You know, a few years ago, how many people there are out there carrying concealed? And it's the most polite group of people you'll ever meet. Uh, usually, that's 100 true. That's and what I say. I don't think if you are going to open carry, I always you know dress nice. Like I, I said in the class, that I've got you know discounts at gas stations before for they thought I was a cop, but I wasn't. You know, and I'm just open carry uh, I prefer to conceal carry because tactically you got more of an advantage and you also don't spook cops that are around you right and that's the last thing I want to do you know I, I don't want them to, have to worry about me when there could be an actual threat somewhere else so but I, I think a, a, a responsible concealed carry uh, firearms uh, person is going to think about those things and they should. I think they do. I don't, you know. You may not like even said, notice them. You probably passed them, you know, many times, but. I don't see them as being, like I said, sheep for that reason. If they're taking the. the but we, we call them, that's why we call them the sheep. The sheeps are the, the victims, the sheepdogs being kind of like uh, Dave Grossman's uh, thing, right. sheep and sheepdogs. I'm not going to go out and try to, if I think that I can defuse a situation without shooting a guy or I can just run out the door with my family and protect my wife and kids, then I'm not even going to get involved. You know, I'm just going to get on my cell phone instead of getting on my gun. But if it comes to a situation, an active killer or something like that, uh, I'm not doing it for heroics or anything. You know, I got to stop this guy from hurting people. I'm going to defend the sheep. You know, I have the ability to do this. Right. I have the training and the skills to do this and the courage to do it. So I think I'd be wrong to not intervene. Right. And I think you'd be labeled a hero if you did that. You know, under the right circumstances, the, the thing is, there's so much to look at. And when you go to the civil lawsuits and everything yes. else. That, you know, you could be doing everything with good intentions and end up being sued and lose everything. Yep. Uh, The same as cops. Cops could do everything right and be sued, you know. uh, Because, like you said it is, got to know the whole situation. I mean, if you were to see someone just kill somebody, now do you go up and shoot them or do you take cover and cover them and say, put the gun down and have the guy say, I'm a policeman, you know. And it might be, you know, a policeman didn't really have the right to kill them, uh, you know, depending on what you saw. But... In the same sense, you know, do you just shoot this guy? I've seen him kill somebody. No, you didn't. I mean, under the Columbine video we just saw, if you're there in the school and you hear the shooting and you go inside and you hear gunshots, you know, even then you're going to go and you see kids laying down with gunshot wounds, you know, dying or bleeding out or already dead. I mean, you're going to be focused on finding this guy when he has the gun. You gotta say. You still gotta say. Put the gun down. Yeah, it could have been another officer in there visiting his kid from another right. area nearby, and he's looking for this bad guy too. So you gotta say, put the gun exactly. down. They don't follow the command. I mean, their choice then is to run. And then they shoot him in the back. You would. The, the correct answer is no, because that's gonna come back on you. Even though you could maybe articulate, he had just, I seen three bodies. I didn't want him getting away and killing. Now, him. if you just saw him shoot. Three bodies, right. then shooting them in the back. Oh, yeah. No, that's an easy one there. But and even then, he would still say, "Put the gun down." Right. As soon as he didn't do that, then he would shoot. Him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. I said. There's a lot of stuff. The Constitution gives him the right to carry a gun. It doesn't give him the right to not be sued for the reaction. Right. And that's the part that's uh, you know that needs to be considered. Like I said, as a cop, I had, you know see some anyone with uh, a weapon that didn't appear to be a cop. I, wouldn't pull, I wouldn't even draw it down sometimes. Don't keep your hands where they are. I want to talk to you about your weapon. Or even if I happen to see a guy say bend over and he had a jacket on, but I could see that he had a gun. I would ask. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm like a person, I'm, you know, I need to know. I, uh, you know, I'm curious. Why do you have a gun? A lot of times in, in the area I worked in, in Northern Virginia, it's loaded with cops from FBI, Secret Service, uh, Metropolitan PD, because a lot of them don't live there. They would live in Northern Virginia and uh, or the outskirts of Maryland and stuff. And he looked and said, wow, you know, there's a lot of cops here. But you still want to know. I mean, I want to know. I mean, I don't know. Some, oh, yeah, that guy's a gun. Nah, I'll leave him alone. Nah, that ain't happening. <laughs> yeah, you know, normally if, if I get pulled over, depending on what state I'm in, uh, or, or if I'm just interacting with an officer or anything, other than like asking for directions or something, if it's actually something going on, like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so and... Uh, 
I have a concealed carry permit and I'm carrying a, a pistol right now. And like, she's like, okay, like, you know, like no big deal, just don't pull it out, <laughs> basically. Uh, but I did have a situation a while back that I could talk to you offline about it. Uh, some of the listeners probably heard about it that are on our forums, uh, the network forums, where uh, I had a, a weapon sitting on, pistol on my dash, where in plain view where it's supposed to be in uh, the state I was in. And that, that turned a little crazy. But it's on the cop. You know, I've had cops where I've stopped and said, I'm, I am law enforcement, I have my badge and ID, and there's a gun in my glove box. I'm in the driver's side, and I've had the cop pull his gun on me. Wow. And say, let me see the gun. And, All right, don't shoot me. Is what I'm, I'm not going for it. It's in the glove box. That's the scary thing. I'm it's like, very not, scary. Officer, no, you get it out. <laughs> Because then he's going to shoot you and say you were going for the gun, and he wouldn't be lying. No way. Is that what I you call bad tactics in the business? Oh, uh, you know, training's important, and responding to training is just as important, if not more important. You can train people to death, but if they're not responding, it doesn't do you any good. Okay, and the last question is for me, and uh, I'll leave you alone let you go eat. Keep looking at your watch. Like, no, I'm going to work. I was saying I had time to work at. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You, you talked a little about your training earlier and how you still train. Uh, do you see uh, a trend with officers? John talked about it before, where there's really a small percentage of cops that realize that they need to learn a lot more, that will go out and get firearms training from civilian agencies and get, you know, so they can be more proficient with their weapon and also maybe go get training somewhere else uh, in other you know aspects of their duties. Since most of them are kind of, you know, job, nine to five, whatever, I'm out of here. Uh, I don't need anything else. You can't tell me anything. Uh, but then there is that, a small percentage who will go above and beyond. You see the kind of the same thing? Well, I will tell you that cops are probably the hardest to train. Uh, I can go and teach. I've been teaching, like I said, cops for many years. And all I ever taught was cops, you know, where that was it. And even when I worked in the music business, I taught cops on piracy and how it related to terrorism. And uh, when you get in a room of cops, you get that body language of, you know, what's this guy going to tell me? What's this idiot know that I don't know? Yeah. So you always have that. But on the training side, most agencies require that cops stay proficient uh, with their weapons. I, I, I never went outside training, but I can tell you that, uh, you know. Well, you were with Fairfax County, too. You yeah. guys are like one of the premier agencies in the U.S. They, they're very big on training. So, I mean, I shot four times a year. When I was on the gang, and we shot once a month. I mean, we'd go and shoot shotguns, rifle slugs, 150 rounds in a day. And That's and a good that, time for the old oh, shoulder. Yeah, that, that was great on your shoulder, I can tell you that. I don't care how snug you hold that shotgun. But the idea is, you know, some agencies... Most police agencies are required to train certain stuff. We had, you had to have uh, 40 hours of training every two years and four hours had to be legal. Up to other cops, go sure, did some cops go out and get a college degree while they're working? Yeah, they, you know, and do some do nothing? Absolutely. Uh, I would say that you see the same thing in the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's personality based, how you feel. I mean, I took martial arts because I wanted to, didn't want anyone kicking my ass when I got down to it. And, you know, I have a second-degree black belt in karate, a first-degree black belt in judo. Now, saying that, now that I'm out, I don't practice anymore. Now, I know some stuff, but am I as proficient as I should be? No, I'm not. And, uh, you know, even with my gun, I, I probably shoot now. I try to get it at least three times a year, and, and Fairfax is great. We go to the, their range, they give us bullets, and you shoot, and you qualify. You can't beat be free bullets. No, you can't. Like and uh, it's, uh, you know, that's a, uh, it's a great agency that way, too. You know, they take care of their people, and they, they always have. And so for me, you know, there's probably a lot of cops that are retired that, you know, have a gun that they probably haven't shot in 10 years and probably still have the same bullets in it from 10 years ago. You know, I don't, I don't know how you can bat that, but you're right. Should you train and should you continue to train? If you want to be proficient, yes. And like times change. You know, today we're talking about the active killer incident. You know, in Columbine. Before then, like the officers weren't going in. Now, well, I they think were trained not to go in. Right you now, know. I think we've kind of changed where we're going. Or most agencies have changed. You were changed. You were trained to secure the scene, wait for the attack team, SWAT team, whatever your agency had. 
different mindset, you know, I, and I think one of the students in the class asked, well, what if it's your own kid and you're a cop? Me? I would have been in there. Oh, yeah. That was, I, I can tell you, my son was in high school during Columbine. And one of the responses was, and now we were in Virginia, but one of the responses was that they asked parents to come in as volunteers to stand guard in the hallways to make sure no one was in there checking doors and stuff. And of course, if I could ever be serious, that would be probably be beneficial. But my son said, Dad, why don't you come? You're a cop. You could go up there. And then I couldn't come because I had court actually in the day that they were doing it. I said, but I just told him, I said, you know, I said, you know what to do. You know to, to find a place to hide. Or And my son also, at that time, probably the first degree black belt in karate. And, said, and we were training all the time. And I said, but I said, no use both of us getting killed if something happens. <laughs> like, thanks, Dad. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's been great having you, Mike. I really appreciate you coming on Gunfighter Cast and taking the time out for the listeners. I'm sure they're really going to enjoy this show and uh, get a lot out of it. But uh, thanks a lot. And I've had a good time in this training, too. Well, I appreciate that. And like I said, the object is to learn. And, uh, and I am a true believer in you never stop learning. Yep. And that's what we're always preaching on Gunfighter Cast, so you heard it from somebody who knows a heck of a lot. Well, that's pretty much it for this episode. Till next time, Gunfighter Cast out.